TheWealthManagement.com Advisor Innovations Podcast is sponsored by LPL. As financial advice continues to evolve, LPL is at the forefront. Whether it's growing your RIA or building an independent practice, advisors can pick the business model, services, technology, and product mix that best meets their clients' needs. As a top wealth management firm, 100% dedicated to advisor success, LPL looks forward to learning how they can help you build your tomorrow today. For information and show notes, go visit lpl.com slash advisor innovation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Advisor Innovations Podcast. My name is David Armstrong. This, as you know, is the podcast where we speak to folks who are moving the wealth management industry into new and interesting directions. And today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Matt Brown, the founder, CEO, and chairman of Case. Matt, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, David. Great to be here. Uh, Case, you call yourself the first truly open marketplace for alternative investments. I think I know what you guys do, but for those listeners who maybe don't, can you just sort of take a step back and give us the 101 of, uh, of what Case is and what you do? Sure. So what Case does, we're a technology platform, uh, and we use the term marketplace because we connect two communities, very similar to how you know an Airbnb would connect people who own apartments with those who want to rent them. Uh, we connect asset managers and uh, other product providers in the alternative investment space. So think private equity, venture, real estate, hedge fund strategies, et cetera, um, with the independent uh, advisor community. So that can be the uh, RIA uh, community or the uh, independent broker-dealer community. Okay, fantastic. Uh, you know, I think uh, we've been hearing more and more. You guys have been around for about a decade, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah, we were, um, well, at least m many people think we were uh, right idea, but very early, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> I, my point being that I think uh, we've seen a number of these uh, alternative investment platforms pop up in recent years for financial advisors in the independent space. And so I guess what I would ask you, uh, if you could spend a little bit of time on the mechanics of how your platform works, uh, just maybe how it distinguishes itself from some of the others that are out there. You know, what, what are the steps that advisors take when they come to case, select an alternative strategy? How, do, how can you just walk me through some of the mechanics there? Yeah. How do, what's the user journey? Yeah, absolutely. The user experience in our case, the advisor experience and also the manager experience. But you did just mention something about other participants uh, in the market. And maybe I'll just take a moment and just, you know, bring a little bit of insight there. There's been probably 30 that we've tracked 30 platforms that have started since we launched case and, you know, maybe each of them a slightly different take on things. Some B2C platforms also were a B2B2C. So our client is only the advisor. We don't go to the direct to the investor and, you know, for a whole host of reasons, um, they didn't make it. Uh, and it's, and, you know, when you kind of start to peel back the onion on why, um, so many platforms kind of have started and not, not been successful. It's just extremely difficult to get the critical mass and volume and flywheel effect required to make a platform work uh, in any, any industry, uh, especially a platform that spends time with complex investment products to a fragmented audience of advisors. So um, building a platform, I think, sounds like a good idea. It's it sounds easier than it is. And uh, as a result, though, you know, I think a lot of people have stepped in, but we're fortunate a case we've been able to really over the past decade 
build that user loyalty. We're seeing extreme growth and you know we've kind of reached that inflection point where thousands and thousands of advisors uh, across the US are investing billions of dollars across our platform every year uh, and ending up uh, investing in dozens of alternative investment funds and products. So that's just a little bit about that. That said, however, we don't take pleasure in the fact that you know there's not that many remaining platforms out there. On the contrary, we really think that the, uh, the advisor community should have choice and selection with a few platforms and anyone who's doing this business uh, of bringing added value to advisors, we applaud. Uh, so we really do believe it's a rising tide lifting all boats. The user journey uh, that you're uh, asking me about, kind of what does it feel if you're an advisor? Well, what you're doing is you're logging into our platform and you're having an experience. You're able to see information on uh, different strategies, uh, both on a macro level and also on a product level. So you're having a learning moment, an educational moment. We also have learning modules built into the platform. We have a state-of-the-art learning system called Case IQ. Uh, which is powered uh, by machine learning and artificial intelligence. And it actually has a personalized one-on-one relationship with every advisor who interacts with it, uh, allowing it to really understand what the advisor needs to learn and should learn and retains that knowledge. And then, so once you're understanding the strategies, how to implement them, how to talk to your clients about them, the product menu is obviously a, a big area where advisors spend time as well. So they're looking at menus of different types of funds and strategies they can sort and filter based on client need or profile or, um, you know, uh, et cetera. There's also tools to help build portfolios uh, of these funds and products. And then of course, if you want to go and invest on behalf of your client uh, or transact, we have an end-to-end digital transaction system that relieves all the pain points uh, that are historically come with investing in alternative investments. And then, we, of course, the post-trade of intera- uh, integration with the custodians. So every transaction will show up at the custodian above the line, which is quite important. So, yeah, that, for sure. And so this is not just simply a, a, a matchmaking program between advisors and uh, uh, general partners out there or uh, asset managers who are uh, running some of these alternative investments. You actually facilitate the transaction. That, that's correct. We, we really have four pillars that we look at. One is just pure access and streamlining. So we bring all the funds on a central platform where you can compare like to like uh, in a standardized language. So that's kind of that access point. Two is we have due diligence on all the funds and products on the platform. It's done independently by Mercer, which is the largest global consulting firm. So the advisors know there's an arm's length relationship between the products on our platform and oversight and due diligence. The third pillar is education. Uh, We've invested a tremendous amount in making sure that Case is also known as an education company, as much as it is a platform where you buy products. And that last piece is the transact area, from a full pre-trade, trade, and post-trade experience, uh, your end client, the end client data of the advisor in our system, auto-populating subscription documents of the funds, drag and drop, click, go, and that transaction happens and then ends up uh, being uh, recognized at the custodians. Okay, that's fantastic. Uh, Tell me, have you guys benefited, I think, a little bit, I'm clearly a, a great platform as you've described, but uh, also just from the the rising popularity of alternatives, right? Which I think kind of comes along with the the fewer and fewer opportunities in public markets that are that are out there. Um, you know, have you 
we track this. We, we do surveys of advisors every year uh, on their use of alternatives, and we see it ticking upwards, uh, uh, more willingness to consider alternatives, more use of alternatives, mostly as sort of, you know, uh, maybe risk mitigation tools or, you know, uh, uh, non-correlated uh, investments for their clients. Where do you see the the rise of, I don't want to say popularity, because I don't think they're quite popular yet necessarily, but uh, the increased interest uh, from advisors for alternatives. How, how do you characterize it? Yeah, um, well, popular is not a bad word. I, it, I would definitely say that alternative investments broadly are very much, um, you know, being you know a top of mind with the advisor community. It's one reason, frankly, why we just brought in $225 million from Apollo Motive and Franklin Templeton as our, our latest shareholders, mm. uh, because they, as an investment group, they see the trend and that we're well positioned for it. But you're, you're, you're touching on, uh, David, a very important uh, tailwind of, of the industry right now, which is that advisor demand is skyrocketing for alternative investments, primarily for a few reasons. One, it's just that the 60-40 traditional portfolio is just not delivering the outcomes to the end clients of the advisors that are needed, and which is having advisors now look for other alternatives uh, to the 60-40, which is bringing them, no pun intended, to alternatives. The dollars that, that are moving away from you know, traditional assets, mutual funds, ETFs, fixed income, and into alternative investments from the independent wealth community are, are in the trillions now, which is part two of the tailwind, which is the manager equation on the other side of our platform is asset managers in the alternative space have really woken up to the fact that this wealth management market is, or wealth uh, advisor market is a very untapped channel of capital for alternative investments. And they want to they want to grow their shareholder base with new shareholders, new investors. It's a great place to be able to build. Uh, so you're seeing now the biggest asset managers in the world, Blackstone, uh, KKR, Carlyle, Apollo, Aries, you know, just names that kind of more household names, all focused on making sure that their products and their funds and their strategies appeal to wealth advisors. So you have both sides of the communities that we that we service, advisors on one and asset managers on the other are both wanting each other and engaging more with each other. And that's what our platform does. It really brings these two together. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's, uh, that's also a story of technology, right? Because these asset managers would not have found it necessarily efficient to go to the RIA, thousands and thousands of RIAs out there, uh, you know, doorbell by doorbell. Yeah. You- uh, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. I should say you hit the nail completely on the head on that. The, you know, one reason why it took case uh, a bit longer to kind of get going. We, obviously, we were early, but the technology wasn't there at, at the level it needed to be in order to make it extremely efficient. So we were working with the tech that we had, but really the last five, seven years has just been just remarkable on what's been able to happen in the world of technology and in, in our industry. Uh, you know, the automation of just about everything. And as a fintech company, we're, we're right there. But managers historically, pre-case, just didn't have the time, bandwidth, budget, patience to do exactly what you just said, to talk to the tens of thousands of small wealth firms that independently are probably not on a one-off basis 
that interesting. But if you can capture the entire or a large swath of the RA market, you're talking about trillions of dollars. So it becomes very interesting. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, how managers get on your platform. Is there uh, due diligence they have to go through? How do you pick and choose and select uh, who gets to sit on the platform and who doesn't? Sure. Or is it open? Uh, I, well, it's 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 not it's neither open nor do we pick. And I'll kind of I'll, I'll give you how we view it. Mm-hmm. So we are a agnostic platform, uh, which means we don't have a CIO. We're not here. Uh, to tell advisors that this is a great fund and you should buy it. That's not our role. Our role as a technology company is to run the marketplace where advisors can come shop, explore, and, and take something off the shelf if they want it. So we have to make sure that there's enough selection on our platform of all different types of funds and strategies to make our marketplace an interesting place for advisors to want to come as a destination to find funds for their clients' portfolios. That leads us into what we call the curated menu. So it's looking at all the possible strategies that are available in the alternative space, all the possible structures of those strategies, thinking of it a bit like a mosaic, and making sure that we have enough choice and selection in each without too much choice and selection because no one needs to be kind of paralyzed by, you know, over-selection. It's like the, the classic diner menu where you go and there's 100 pages and you just can't even get off page one. That's yeah. not our approach. So that's our approach on how we think about building the menu of options. However, where do those ideas come from and how do we make sure that they're good? That's the harder part. We've built a very sophisticated engagement and from very sophisticated engagement and also from a data science standpoint to understand the buying behavior and interests of the advisor community. So we're constantly effectively surveying the community of users on what strategies and or funds they want to see on our platform. And that's a data point. We're also with our partner Mercer, who's our due diligence partner. They obviously have views as well, and that's a data point. And then, of course, we have our teams that cover advisors in the field, and they're hearing. So we kind of have a bottoms-up view on what should be available. And then with Mercer, those funds have to go through independent due diligence and pass a certain level in order for them to qualify to even be on the platform. And that's important. You know, you could find yourself finding a strategy, let's say real estate, then finding a manager, XYZ manager, that can't just go on the platform because there's advisor demand. It has to be independently reviewed. Mm-hmm. And if it passes that, then it can go on our platform. And advisors really appreciate that because many advisors don't have the resources to do due diligence themselves. Right. And that is a barrier of them investing in alts. And this has a way of helping them understand and they can read the reports and know they have the comfort of having a top tier firm doing the due diligence. What um, uh, you say then you have great insights into what advisors are interested in and what kind of alternative strategies they gravitate towards. What alternative strategies do they gravitate towards? What, what is most popular on your platform for? Or talk here just maybe basically about an average retail facing RIA. Yeah, it's, um, it's, we ask ourselves all the time uh, and we look at the trend. So, you know, imagine, you know, we're a platform, so we see what people are buying and where the where the movement comes from and what the interest levels are, it changes every year. We also just interestingly, as an aside, we kind of know which advisors are 
really kind of forward thinking, which are the advisors who are generally three, six, nine months ahead of investing in a trend? So you kind of get little leading indicators, if you will. You know, it's all anonymized data, but we you kind of have an idea of, uh, you know, this firm is always kind of consistently making good decisions. And that's kind of a, an interesting uh, kind of data point there. But in terms of strategies, uh, we are, you know, currently private credit has been extremely popular in our platform in all different verticals, private real estate, private credit. So basically income oriented investment strategies, you know, with interest rates so low and fixed income sure. so disappointing. Uh, that's been a big, big area. Private equity and venture has been, you know, extremely you know, popular on the platform. On the liquid side, uh, or more liquid side, I would say in the hedge fund land, market neutral strategies remain kind of the top allocation. Uh, so it's that, that's been that as well. But you know, we're very open uh, to looking at new strategies. We just looked at our first digital currency fund on the platform a year and a half ago. We're looking at a private equity firm that is investing in companies that support blockchain. We're always keeping our ears and eyes open. Is this a, uh, you know, for years there, a couple of years ago, uh, maybe five to seven years ago, we heard so much about liquid alts, right? You know, hedge fund strategies and 40 act wrappers, mutual funds. And the idea there was that, well, the markets are getting wobbly. So these things are going to be of interest to advisors. Never really happened, right? Just the market kept going up and up and up. And we saw a lot of these liquid alts kind of close down and disappear. And we certainly don't get nearly as many press releases or announcements from asset managers around liquid alt funds anymore. What's your feeling on, on the idea of, of some of these strategies in 40 act wrappers and the success or lack of success there? So I think the 1.0, David, on liquid alts that you're referring to kind of seven, eight, whatever years ago, I think everyone was generally disappointed there. That was not an area that we, we focused on at case. So we didn't, but we definitely from the sidelines watched certain firms bring in lots of dollars and almost as quickly lose them. Um, I think there's a few things behind why. One of them is that those investment wrappers or structures didn't really allow the asset manager to execute on the strategy based uh, on the limitations that were imposed. But they had to really morph the strategy away from being its true alternative investment strategy and therefore it just didn't ultimately end up working. I think we're seeing a renaissance though in in these these wrappers, these strategies, you know, the the interval fund, the 40 act registered interval funds uh, of today are doing quite a good job in allowing kind of that kind of threading of the needle between the asset manager being able to do what they need to be able to do from an execution strategy standpoint, but also meeting some of the needs on the liquidity side of the investors, um, like the, the tender offer, the quarterly tender offers. You're also seeing kind of the BDCs and REITs, non-traded BDCs, non-traded REITs stepping in to allow for kind of the accredited investor, not just the the QP, not just the qualified purchaser investor, but able to go down to the accredited level, creating products uh, with those types of wrappers, which is allowing advisors to have almost all of their clients have exposure to alternatives, not just kind of the fewer, larger ones. Yeah. When you're out there talking to advisors, uh, you say education is a large role in what you do. The obstacles that I think we most often hear are alternatives are too expensive, too opaque, and not liquid. And this is why advisors tend to stay away from them if they do. What do you find are the obstacles that advisors need to wrap their heads around 
to confidently invest client money in these markets? The areas that we focus on trying to solve for, right? So if when we started case, when I started case, I was I identified a problem and the problem was that independent wealth advisors, RIAs and IBDs didn't have the same access to an education about alternative investments as wirehouses because those big wirehouses are big and they have scale and they can build platforms and uh, and those advisors who work for those big firms have those have access to that and that ultimately means they have better tools in the toolbox to be able to serve their client needs and have better outcomes. So that was the problem I was trying to do is level the playing field between the two communities within wealth management. If you look at wirehouse allocations, they're you know double digit, 12, 15% more in alts. If you look at independent wealth, it's 1%. And when you start to realize why that spread exists, there's a handful of, of barriers or hurdles that independent advisors have that wirehouse advisors don't. Um, one is, you know, you just mentioned it, you have to lead with learning. You have to lead with education. Advisors are asked to do some pretty important things. They're being entrusted with the wealth of generations of, you know, your clients and your generations and families. And, you know, as a former wealth advisor, you know, we all take that very seriously. And if I don't understand, if I didn't understand a product or if they don't understand how to implement or talk to their clients about it, it's just not going to happen and it shouldn't happen. So a case we very much wanted to tackle the educational hurdle and create the most robust and state-of-the-art learning platform the industry has ever seen. We've done it. Um, and we think if we can keep le leading with learning, we'll always have the outcome that we want, which is that advisors will feel comfortable and understand how to implement an alternative investment strategy. That's kind of pain point number one, if you will. You know, we kind of put a check mark next to that. We can always do better, but we're going to keep doubling down in education. I would say that another big pain point is just the execution. We've spent a lot of time, effort, energy, and capital making sure that we have a leading transaction engine. You know, the old way of investing in alternative investments is a paper document, write it out. But imagine doing that times a hundred companies and or a hundred investors. It just it's just too much. It's inefficient, kills hours. Our system now makes that feel very close to a mutual fund execution. Um, obviously, never we'll never get exactly there until we start to go to a QCIP based ticker symbol based execution system. But it really has come a long, long way in easing the pain point. And then, of course, the other pain points around capital call management uh, of private equity funds, of integrated reporting with custodians, and then downstream to reporting providers like Adapar and Orion and Tamarack. So we've really tried to, any place there's a pain point, just get rid of it and make the advisor experience better. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, you did mention crypto, and I'm wondering, you said you've been looking at uh, some uh, possibilities there for about a year and a half. Is it possible you're too late to that game? Uh, uh, are advisors asking for this? You know, we've seen the markets in the past couple of days go down, but you know, who knows what's going to happen there? Seems yeah, you like know, a lot of people are rushing into the space. Uh, again, we're not running a platform to tell people what to invest in. We're running a platform to give people options. And the way that things get on our platform is by demand. Advisors are demanding more information around you know, distributed ledger technology, smart contracts, blockchain, digital currencies. They want to know. They're being asked about that by their clients and more importantly, by their clients' kids. 
and uh, they hope to keep that book of business to from Gen One to Gen Two, they better get up to speed quickly on what's interesting to the next generation. So, you know, I will say, however, we also because we have insights and we see what who's you know we see the volumes and what's happening. Crypto, all these things that we just talked about, blockchain content on the platform has the highest engagement score by the advisor community. Investment into blockchain and crypto has the lowest investment score. So what does that tell us? People are really interested in learning about it, but they haven't really got comfortable enough to buy it. So I think it's, I think you're hearing a lot of when you say, is it too late? I think you're in the, I would, I'm not going to say the first inning of crypto or blockchain. I think you're still in the dugout. I think you, we, this is just the beginning of, of a transformation that will happen in what form TBD, but people need to understand it. Advisors need to understand it. And there should be investment options available if they, if they want to be able to, you know, put capital to work. You personally are confident that it's here to stay. Well, it depends what's here is. If you're asking me if digital currency, Bitcoin, uh, et cetera, is going to replace currencies of, of, of nations, um, you know, I don't know um, and don't have a view. And there's too many smart people out there that spend their life in crypto. I do not. But, you know, I've gotten dangerous enough on the power of blockchain from the implication on decentralized finance, uh, the efficiencies. And it's really hard to believe that blockchain isn't going to be a complete game changer on how you know business is being done in the future. So I am a big believer in the blockchain yeah. technology as a, a new architecture for transactions. Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, not just simply as a uh, investment opportunity, but potentially on what you do every day. Absolutely. We, we just did a partnership with a, fir- a great firm called Digital Asset and Digital Asset is in the business of blockchain building blockchain solutions they're they're completely rebuilding the australian stock exchange i'm sorry the singaporean stock exchange or singapore australia don't quote me on either one of those uh and they're building on blockchain i mean it's if you're a custodian fidelity schwab or pershing or you're a you know uh, a bank and you you have to be looking at these as real viable solutions or you you, you may not be happy with the outcome. And Fidelity is hyper-focused on, on things like this, as an example. Are you uh, equally confident about the other players in the ecosystem, uh, Schwab, or maybe some of the smaller independent broker-dealers? You know, I, I think that, specifically, again, on, on just embracing blockchain's technology mm-hmm. and impact, it very much needs a champion. Uh, so if you see some of these firms... Uh, that have an interest in this area, it's typically because there's certain people uh, in the leadership position that I'm really are willing to kind of dig in and, and make sure that there's transparency, understanding of the impact and the opportunity. And I'm not sure all, all firms, I haven't seen all firms kind of be as um, on their front foot as Fidelity, uh, as an example. Give me a little bit of uh, your history, how you uh, came to, to found Case. You were a financial advisor. Yeah, I always... Um, I kind of joke. I, I'm a bit of a, uh, an accidental financial advisor. I was a liberal arts uh, major and took an interview uh, at a school with a firm I didn't know the name of or hadn't heard the name of for a job I didn't really understand. And that was uh, Shearson Lehman Brothers. Uh, 
and went to an interview, sat down with this gentleman who was uh, much older, looked a bit like out of central casting for the movie Wall Street. And we talked for two hours. I, I actually left the meeting not really understanding still what the role was, uh, nor why I was actually at that interview to begin with and was quite convinced that um, I would not be getting that job. So uh, the next day the phone rings and uh, it is, in fact, this gentleman, he says, would you like to join Shearson Lehman Brothers? And our training program starts next week. And I did a great decision. Got to be, sometimes you got to be lucky. And uh, a year later though, uh, I did ask him, I said, let me ask you a question. With my background in, in, in liberal arts, there's so many smart finance people and econ majors. Why would you pick someone like me to be your, you know, a financial advisor? And he said something to me that I'll never forget. Uh, and it's actually been a lesson that stayed with me throughout my entire career, which is that he said, I can teach people the math, but I can't teach people how to communicate. Hmm. And he just underscored that business is not about spreadsheets. It's about people. And if you know how to communicate or you can, you can build trust and build relationships, that's the cornerstone of all business. And uh, he said, I'll teach you the math. And in fact, he, he did teach me the math, uh, meaning the difference between a stock and a bond. And it, it started there and kept growing. So I started as a financial advisor. I then went to the dark side, uh, the alternative investment world. I built two firms and a lot of building a firm is raising capital. Ironically, coming from the, or not ironically, coincidentally, coming from the wealth advisory community, I was raising capital for our firm and our products in the wealth community, both here in the US and internationally, you know, Europe, Asia, Latin America, and the US. So I became very familiar with the RIA community, the IBD community, the private bank, the IFA community, which is the RIA of Europe and Asia, uh, multifamily office community, and just felt like I understood that world. As a former advisor, I knew what their job was. And then in 2009, uh, kind of as the global financial crisis really started kicking off, I was thinking about building a business and trying to identify problems. And of course, a problem like alternative investment exposure between RIAs and wirehouses is not such an obvious thing to solve. It's not like we're trying to build Uber here, but it was pretty bright and clear to me. And I said, wait a second, why can't I just build a JP Morgan style platform, but not for JP Morgan, you build it on an independent platform and let every wealth advisor plug into it. And I can democratize access to alternatives and level the playing field between these two communities. It was a bit of a, bit of a David and Goliath moment. And uh, so far we're uh, David's winning and uh, yeah. we're happy to be part of the story. That's right. Uh, speaking of some of the glass out there, though, what keeps you up at night? I mean, uh, uh, if, if like an, if an investnet kind of suddenly uh, uh, opens the door to to these kinds of uh, investment strategies, uh, uh, maybe the custodians make it easier. What 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 do you view as your competition, or who do you view as your competition? And and we're, what, uh, we're, what's, no, what's we're, we're integrated. We're integrated with with investnet. Uh, any advisor facing platform or portal, we we have a good relationship with. Whether it's from the custodial angle, you know, we're we're strategic partners of Schwab, Pershing, and Fidelity, um, and our technology integrates there. You know, Investment, as I mentioned, you know, Ryan and Adapar. Uh, so we're we're there. Um, I think building a platform. Going back to what I how I started this conversation with you, it's a lot easier said than done. So I don't really get too concerned that you know we're going to find ourselves 
in a competition with that community. In terms of just more head-on competition, we, we welcome it. We encourage it. We want it. We think competition amongst service providers is the right thing for the advisory community to have. It's how innovation happens. It's how pricing benefits advisors. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's important advisors have choices on partners. Uh, you know, there's not one custodian, there's three or four, there's not one reporting provider, there's three or four, there's not one TAMP, there's three or four that dominate. And you're going to see that there's probably a handful of alternative investment platforms uh, that dominate. And, you know, it's, uh, we, we, we applaud that. And frankly, if you truly believe in our mission, which is we want advisors to understand how to implement and, um, and access alternative investments in a, just a higher way, a, a higher level, you know, we're, we're very early innings. So multiple players actually help don't hurt. Okay. All right. Well, that's great. Uh, Matt, thanks very much for, for uh, joining us. I, I kept you longer than I, I intended to. So thanks for, thanks for your time. Yeah, my pleasure, David. Thanks so much. And congrats on what you guys have built over at wealthmanagement.com. Well, thank you. And thank you for listening. This has been the Advisor Innovations Podcast. I'm David Armstrong. This podcast is sponsored by LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member FINRA SIPC. LPL Financial is a separate entity from and not affiliated with wealthmanagement.com.